Everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage. Jake Paul, he has MMA dreams. Will they actually come true? We discuss it. Also, I sit down with Angela over Kill Hill about her fight this weekend in the 115-pound division. Also, an interview with Ryan Bader, former light heavyweight, now heavyweight champion in Bellator as he defends his title in January. Jake Paul talking about going to MMA, if that's a possibility. I don't know. But anyway, so uh, his whole uh, run in boxing. I look, look I've said this before. And I'm going to say it again to, 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 to make sense of this. I don't give Jake Paul the respect of a professional boxer because he hasn't taken on another professional boxer. He hasn't done that. So there's a huge difference in calling yourself running a marathon and calling yourself a professional marathon runner. Those are two different things, and they're two different levels. And you take on different levels of competition, depending on, obviously, who you're doing it with and who you're doing it against. So I respect anybody who goes into boxing and trains and gets, I guess, decent at it and tries it. Great. Good for you. Kelly want to do that tomorrow. I'd be like, good for you, Kelly. That's awesome. If Kelly went, I'm a professional boxer now, I'd say, no, you are not, until you take on another professional. He hasn't done that yet, okay? So, uh, this is Jake Paul at the Tyron Woodley, uh, Tyron Woodley, Jake Paul 2 presser about competing in MMA. Let's hear it. Would you ever consider taking an MMA fight? Yeah, for sure. 100%. I think it could happen. You're lying. Why not? Why not? You're a lie. If I can learn how to box in two years and beat people like him, then why can't I learn how to do MMA? Let's do, let's in do two MMA years then. And beat people like him. Let's do MMA then. So that's we, that's, that's my answer. Is it will it will happen at some point? 100%. Let's do this MMA after we do the 100%. boxing stuff. So I can elbow you in the head and knee you in the nugget. <laughs> knee you in the nugget? Is that is that really what Tyron Willie just said? Knee you in the nuggets? Is that? We all heard that at the same time. Okay, cool. It wasn't just me. Anyway, oh, God, what do I even say about that? Um, here's what's going on is Jake Paul has made a career out of boxing, but not boxing actual boxers who are pros who are anywhere near his age. He somehow made a career out of that. Okay, which is these kind of exhibitions against people like Tyron Woodley, former mixed martial artist at the end of his career. Uh, ben Askren, probably the worst striker I've ever seen at the elite level of MMA. And I stand by that 100%. Okay. Um, would he ever do MMA? Possibly. But it would be in the same vein. He would not go to MMA and take on actual mixed martial artists with any experience and any record, and any real ability. He would not do that. He wouldn't. So, in a sense, do I believe he'd do it? Yeah, I think he'd do the same thing he did in boxing, which is, okay, is this person 90? Sure. Is this person done in MMA? Right. Does this person have feeble skills by comparison? Sure. That will have its pitfalls as well, and I will discuss them in a second. But first, this is what he said with Aaron Bronstetter, about a potential opponent, this is laughable. Go ahead. Do you feel like you could make waves in that sport as well? 100%. I want Khabib. I, I, I want to have an MMA match against Khabib. And uh, it seems crazy, but I, I think it would be fun. 
Okay. Define fun. You would lose, and you'd lose in incredibly one-sided fashion. You'd get taken down and beaten up and submitted, and that'd be it. Would it make you money? I guess. Sure. Khabib murders you. Murder. Murders beyond murder. Do you think it would lure Khabib out of retirement? Probably not. And he's still under contract with the UFC. So as far as I know, Khabib hasn't, didn't fulfill his contract before leaving. So you can retire, but if you come back, it's for the UFC and no one else. And there's no way Dana White allows him to come back to fight anybody but Charles Oliveira in the UFC. That's it. So that fight ain't going to happen. So it's an interesting thing to me to make these ridiculous, I don't know, I don't even want to say call-outs, but like ridiculous, I'd like to fight this guy because you're never going to fight him. Oh, I want to fight Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez is never going to box you, and he would murder. It's a similar thing in boxing. I want to box Canelo Alvarez. He puts you in a hospital if he fights you, which he's not going to do. He would not stoop that low. And if he did, he would knock your head into the third row. Khabib is a similar thing. He is not coming back for you. And if he did come back for you, he murks you. Now, I'm assuming most of my listeners are MMA fans. That's why it's called Unlocking the Cage, right? I'm assuming you have some interest in, in, in mixed martial arts, period. Are you interested in Jake Paul doing it? Am I? Not at all. I'm not interested in the guy boxing. I have no interest in Jake Paul boxing let alone doing MMA. Now, KOB, you had an interesting take on this during our production meeting about this subject, which is it's risky for him even if the guy's washed up, even if there are just too many variables in MMA, so you don't believe he'll actually go to it and would actually do it. I think he'd do it against a guy who's used up and has no chance. You think even that's too much of a risk. Tell me why. Yes. Dude, (laughs) it's like anything else. Anybody, like... Trying to think of the best way to put this. Like, <laughs> I love it. Trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> the best way to put this. Yeah. A little bit of experience in fight sports is 10 times better than, than none. So, like, I don't even care if Jake Paul trains for a year. He could fight someone who's completely washed, and I still take the washed guy over him. Because it's it's years of experience. It's years of knowing how to handle pressure situations. There are so many ways to lose in this sport. Like, it ain't like boxing. Like, you're not worried about just standing on your feet and worried about two hands, man. You can get knocked out. There's a million different submissions that you can find yourself in. I, I, you would need to train at least, at least three years. I'm, yeah, I'm going to say. Three years is, is pretty much the minimum. Three if years. You don't, yeah, yeah. To just be competent. Like, not even good. Competent. Yeah. To know what yeah. you're doing. And I don't even care. Even at competent, I still think that, you know, someone who, who might even be washed. Give him Diego Sanchez. I'll still take Diego Sanchez in that fight. Yeah. Even a washed Diego Sanchez probably wins that one. It's true, yeah. And it's, 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 let, let me put it this way. I once trained a housewife who had never trained in MMA, had no experience at all for this show called Made uh, that used to be on MTV and went to CMT and, and they had me, I was the coach for an episode of Made. And they had me take this housewife and make her an MMA fighter. I had six weeks. So in six weeks, I took her from zero to an amateur fight. So the producer of the, of the show and I are sitting there together, and it's the night before her fight. And he goes, Jimmy, you've really done an amazing job. I think she's going to win this fight. 
Like you've really, I mean, she, she's actually looking decent in the gym, and 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 I'm really impressed, and I think she can win it. And I said, if the if the other fighter angles and leg kicks, we're gonna lose. And he goes, why? And I said, I didn't have time to teach you that. I taught her to punch and a double leg takedown, basic submission defense, and mount. That's that's what I had. I had six weeks. I had to teach like four things and teach her those four things and hope she could win a fight. I taught her basic fundamental defense, fundamental offense, punching. I didn't really teach her how to kick. And then I taught her double leg and, and, and safety on the ground. That was it. That's all I had time for. And the guy looks at me, the producer, after I said that, and he goes, wow, really? I said, she doesn't know how to defend a leg lock. If her opponent takes her down a leg lock, leg locks her, she has no idea how to deal with that. Because I didn't have time to teach her how to defend a leg lock. She's going to stare at the lady while the lady tweaks her leg off. I only have so much time. And in an extended way, that's how you have to think about MMA. In three years, I can get you a blue belt in jiu-jitsu if you show up every single day. All right, I can get you a blue belt um, if you're a savant, a purple belt, or a brown belt. If you're a savant. And that's pretty much it. Kickboxing, which has a lot of elements to it, I can make you pretty good in three years if you show up every single day. Doesn't mean you're a decent wrestler. Doesn't mean your unorthodox submission game is going to be any good. Doesn't mean you're going to be able to see all these things coming in in an MMA way. When you put together the years Aaron Pico spent boxing, wrestling, and doing jiu-jitsu and combine them all and watch him get smoked in his first MMA fight, Smoked. His first pro fight, he got smoked. Because it's more than just the sum of its parts. The way it all, it's like cooking. It's the way it all blends together. And how it responds to heat. Right? It's not about the ingredients. I throw this in there and this in there and I mix it up and I get pancakes. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to be capable of mixing all the ingredients together. And how it all comes together. And da, 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 and, and it's, it's a subtlety that, that is difficult to master. He has become a I don't I don't even know about decent boxer. He's certainly not a boxer on the pro level, but you know his hands are okay considering how long he's been doing it. They're all right. Add kicks to that, add knees to that, add elbows to that. No. So saying that he would probably lose even to a shot fighter, do you think it's worth him doing? Because that's the other that's the other the flip side to this coin is even if he's not going to do it, these ridiculous call-outs and stuff make him money. So why is he talking about this stuff if he's not going to do it, and if he does it, he probably loses? To maybe give himself a backdoor. So I'm going to set up a scenario, and KOB, let me know if you agree. He loses, let's say, to Tyron Woodley. Let's say he gets knocked out by Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley actually throws some punches this time, steps forward and knocks out Jake Paul. The interest level in his boxing is going to go down significantly. Let's say he fights Tyron Woodley again. All right, we're going to have a trilogy. Loses again. Or sets up the the the, the Fury fight that he was going to set up before. Loses that. Then he's got to find some other way to get people to pay pay-per-view prices to see him. And to watch him get his ass beat in MMA just might do it. Then he's kind of setting up this back door for when boxing kind of peaks or he finally just, 
you know, it, it, it goes south for him. So maybe he get he gets one more pay per view out of an MMA fight. KOB, do you think that's a possibility? Seems pretty sound, actually, and yeah, very right? Polish, very Paul forward thinking ish. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds pretty right. <laughs> I have said this before about uh, Conor McGregor, and I'll say a little bit about Jake Paul as well. A con requires hope. I told you the analogy about pool hustling, which my father and my cousin used to do together. And they told me when I was a kid, the key to a con, the key to a hustle in pool is they have to believe they're going to win. If you blow them off the board, if you sit there and I sink every single ball, they're going to pay me the 20 bucks and walk out. If I beat them by one shot, they're going to lay down another 20 bucks. If I beat him by one shot again, oh, barely, you almost had it. They'll lay down another 20 bucks. And by the end of the night, I got all their money. But what it required was hope. Some idea that you're going to see something different than you saw the last game. Is it true? No. One of the guys that hustled with my dad and my cousin, who were both excellent pool players themselves, was literally a world champion. You're not going to beat that guy, but he's not going to play with everything he has. He's going to give you enough hope that you think you're going to win. It's an illusion. It's not real. So the Paul brothers do this thing as well, that that, that there's a hope we'll maybe see something different than we saw before. Now, it's usually a negative. We're hoping he gets knocked out by Tyron Woodley. At least I'm hoping he gets knocked out by Tyron Woodley. Am I going to see it? No, probably not. I am a rational person. And as a rational person, I have to understand that we're probably going to get more of the same. With MMA, there would be, okay, finally we're going to see him get murked. But he will set it up in a way that that will be less likely. He will not fight Khabib. He will not fight GSP. He will not fight a retired legend who kills him. He won't fight anybody who's competent. So he'll tease you with that hope. That he'll finally fight somebody legit and get killed, and he won't do that. He'll switch it up and fight somebody who he might lose to, but he'll try and set it up so he doesn't. The illusion is behind the scenes. He knows how good or not good he is, and he's not going to do anything dumb. I really believe that. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. One person who is always interesting. I love talking to her, and she's fighting this weekend against Amanda Limo. She is Angela over Kill Hill. How you doing? Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) Always great. So how are you doing post-weigh-in? I know fighters get miserable. I used to be one of them. How was the weigh-in? How's the recovery? How are you feeling physically right now? Um, I'm pumped, man. I felt like I was a little bigger than her when I got to see her. So that's always nice. I think she might be bigger than me tomorrow, but it's all about that frame, you know? Like, right. I'm feeling, good. So I'm feeling <laughs> good. I'm feeling strong. I got water in me. My lips aren't capped anymore. I feel good to go. You know, the worst thing, people don't, don't talk about this enough. When you talk to a fighter at Wayne's, right? You ask them a question. They're literally like, 
like their lips are sticking together and like they have no moisture. It's the, it's the worst ever. Fighter meetings are the absolute worst because of that. So uh, uh, something that just broke that I, I want to ask you about because you were a, an opponent of her. Claudia Gadelia just announced she's retired from MMA. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 33 years uh, old, had an up and down career. What, what do you think of that? That's surprising. I mean, she's in the PI every day. I think yeah. maybe maybe late cut might have been hard for her. Maybe she's just not feeling it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if our fight had a little bit to do with it because I saw she got a lot of shit for that. Um, oh, can I cuss? No, you <laughs> can't. Go ahead. Of, yeah, she got a lot of shit for that on social media and stuff. Um, you know, people just were palling on her and I did feel a little bad, but not that bad, but a little bad about it. But <laughs> that's crazy. I didn't, I didn't yeah. hear that. That's insane. Maybe, yeah. uh, yeah, I can take her number soon. <laughs> It's certainly possible. Ranked number seven uh, in the rankings as she retired. Your opponent, Amanda Lemos, 10-1-1. So an impressive record so far, but hasn't been tested that much in the UFC. Um, You know, obviously five fights in the UFC, but hasn't taken on the best talent, but she's on a four-fight streak. How do you gauge a fighter like this where, you know, she's done well, but she hasn't faced the names you've faced what's usually your your rule of thumb with somebody like that? You know what I mean? It's, it can be hard to judge exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to know for sure until I get in there. Um, every fighter improves as well, each fight. So, uh, and she's, she's streaking. So I'm thinking that she's really feeling herself. So she's going to come in with a lot of confidence, but uh, you know, I look at, I look at, similar opponents i look at um you know we both fought livia and when i fought her i won convincingly but it was really young in my career i feel like i'm a totally different person now and i would have done the same thing to her as she did like just really just outclass her on the feet and finish her so i try to look at things like that look at uh the level of competition that i've faced versus her whenever i fight people who are the same level of competition that she's fought and beat I do the same thing I fight them I beat them I outclass them so I think that she's a super tough opponent um but I have I have a lot of tricks up my sleeve I've been doing this for a long time I've I've fought the best I've like you know knocked down the best I've dropped the best I've beaten ranked opponents so I feel like I'm coming in there with a lot of things that she hasn't seen before. And I feel like uh, she hasn't really fought a, an aggressive striker like me before, too. So we'll see if her striking can can compare to mine, if she's as going to be able to deal with how slick I am. Um, and it's going to be like power versus slickness, power versus precision. When, of course, speaking to Angela Overkill Hill about her fight with, um, of course, uh, Amanda Lemos, so the main event, Derek Lewis versus Chris Dawkins, is is a similar kind of thing where Chris Dawkins has a streak in the UFC. He's done very very well, but but Derek Lewis has taken on the the the, the better opposition. He's taken on the better talent with a lot of knockouts. Uh, a lot of fighters in your position as the veteran fighter don't want to take on the young, hungry up and comers who you said she's on a streak. She's probably feeling super duper confident. Um, a lot of fighters don't want to take those fights. Any hesitation for you in taking on the person who doesn't have the name, but right now has a streak and can be very dangerous. What are your thoughts on taking those fights? 
um, as as the guy who's streaking or as the guy who is already established? Well, I you're already that's... established. That's what I'm curious about. Like uh, you've got the name, right? So so you know, how do you feel when they offer you? Hey, there's this opponent. They're ten and one. They haven't fought anybody in the UFC. It's so it doesn't do a ton for you, but it's a dangerous opponent. What are your thoughts on that? I think when you when you have something to prove, it's not scary. You know, like I feel like after my last fight. I feel like I have something to prove. I had that three fight streak uh, a while back and I really want to get that back. I want people talking about me. I want people, um, you know, expecting me to, to do great things. So a win over an opponent like that is, is a smart move. I feel like, and for Derek Lewis, he's still with the same thing where he just, just got dropped, but it was one of the best strikers that we've ever seen in heavyweight. So you want to prove that you're still in the conversation, that you're still one of those people that are going to be looked at next for, for a title shot, even though you just dropped one. And I, yeah, I think that opportunity is the best one to take, to take one of these streaking fighters who, if they fought someone else, they might do the same thing. If she fought Nina Ansaroff, she might not need Ansaroff out because she didn't look that great on the feet in her last fight. And People are going to be talking about Lemos. I'm going to snatch that away from her, snatch that opportunity away from her. So it's it's fun for me because I have a lot of confidence in my striking, and yeah, I'm not I'm not afraid of these little young girls coming in. <laughs> talking to Angela Hill about her fight this Saturday. Um, how much pressure is there, or do you feel, or do you feel any at all when you go to the gym to add new wrinkles to your style? Because, as you said, i got to have a trick up my sleeve for the new kids. They have tape on me. I don't necessarily have tape on them. I've been in the spotlight for a long time. How much pressure do you feel, if any, to add that new wrinkle to your game every single fight? Um, I, I always want to, just because I'm always searching for that magic uh that magic formula that's going to get me to finish especially after my fight with Claudia Gadelia I was just like you know what I don't want to be in a situation where if I do get that title shot opportunity and I beat the brakes off of the champ they still give it to the champ like that would suck so much I would it would be really hard to work your way back up to that title contention so I always feel that pressure every fight every every fight camp every time I walk into the gym to try something new to keep mixing it up especially because I have so many fights this is going to be my 19th fight in the UFC so if I do the same shit like that that's going to be easy to defend so I definitely feel like it's necessary, but at the same time, it's it's fun. It's fun to learn new things. It's fun when they work, you know, and it's fun when they work in sparring. It's fun when they work in competition. I had a lot of success with some new stuff against Tisha, you know. It's just a matter of doing it more efficiently and more often. So, um, so yeah, I think the reward balances out whatever pressure you feel for doing new stuff and improving every time. At what point in a fight to you does UFC experience, big fight experience, whatever you call it, come into play the most? Is it in the beginning when you don't have the nerves? Is it late in a fight? You don't question yourself because you've been here before. At what stage in a fight does having that experience really help you to you? Um, I think I think when the fight is close, having that experience allows you to edge it out. To win the round, you find ways to uh, switch things up and make adjustments that your opponent might not be expecting just because 
they've seen what you've done on tape, but you have so many more hours in the gym where you've had to go into that, like that space where you're not really familiar, but you know, you drilled it, you know, you have the reps, so you just have to try it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think just being able to pull something out of your sleeve, being able to lock up a sub or, or do something tricky, get that drop, get that knockdown. I, I have all those skills. I have so much wealth of knowledge that I haven't shown yet. And me five years ago, I didn't have any of that. So yeah, I think just making adjustments in there and being able to surprise your opponent, that's where you see uh, vets get that craftiness in. That's where you see people like uh, like Elkins get the win over someone who you didn't expect them to or, or uh, you know, uh, all the underdog champs that we have. Uh, just sneak in there and do something that you haven't seen them do before. So, yeah, that's the biggest advantage, I think. Well, speaking of your knowledge base, uh, I didn't just bring you on to talk about your fight. We have a special announcement to make because starting next Wednesday, December 22nd, you'll be joining the Fight Nation team, right? Taking over hosting duties on MMA Today. That's right, yeah. You can catch Angela Hill on MMA Today every Wednesday, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern, right here on SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156. How are you feeling about joining the team? Amazing. Thank you for <laughs> having me. So pumped. I, I feel like all the work that I've been doing, studying, watching tape, uh, doing ESPN, all this stuff, podcasts, what happened was um, all this stuff is finally paying off. And thank you for thank you for inviting me onto the team. I am honored. <laughs> you and I, I'm not I'm not kidding about this. And, and I say the same things off air that I say on air, basically. Um, I think you're a great MMA personality. I think your knowledge base is fantastic. You have a charm and a style that people really appreciate and gravitate towards. You have everything it takes to do really well in this business. And I got to say, honestly, working at SiriusXM has been super fun for me. I've really enjoyed it. It, it's, it. it allows you to express yourself and your knowledge of MMA in a totally different way. You know what I mean? You don't have the pressure of, man, I have all this knowledge, but I got to keep it secret. I got to beat this one opponent. It's like I'm allowed to go everywhere, and it's a really – it's a real, it's a very freeing way to be involved in MMA. Is that how you feel about it so far, this opportunity? Yeah, I feel like it's it's just opened my eyes. Um, yeah. any, any bit that I do where I'm talking about other people, talking about other weight classes and fighters, um, it just opens my eyes to all these, all these other possibilities that I can do myself. But also, um, yeah, I think people are surprised, really. Uh, sometimes I'll... I'll do an analysis of a fight, do a breakdown, and the person doing it next to me will look over and be like, nice job. So <laughs> I think people are surprised at how much I know and how much I pay attention to. And um, yeah, the nuggets of knowledge that I'm able to drop. Uh, and hopefully they won't be surprised after <laughs> I'm in there. Yeah, they they, they won't be. They won't be, Angela. I'm (laughs) I'm serious. Where it's where it's yeah, it's kind of weird how the the, I don't know the way people you you get to understand the way people perceive you, which is weird, right? Like Mm -hmm. you start realizing how people see you once you're on TV doing stuff, and and you know when you're broadcasting or or whatever. Because I've been it in it since about 2008. I've been broadcasting so Mm -hmm. long, long time now, 13 years. So yeah, so. You start realizing how other people see you. And I'm telling you, it can be a little weird because you start <laughs> realizing, wow, you must have thought I didn't know anything 
at, up to yeah. this point. Yeah, right? It's, 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 it's a little strange, yeah. isn't it? Like, oh, you didn't think I would yeah. know that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do the same thing when I'm, I'll be talking to a grappler about some striking thing. And they're like, oh, well, you could also do this. And I'm like, that's oh, a good idea. Check you out, right? That, but oh. I'm a fighter, so <laughs> of course, you know something. But it's funny how, uh, uh, yeah, I guess uh, perceptions form this thing, and then you're able to break through that yeah. and show, hey, I know other stuff. And I also know about fights that happened before I was doing MMA. And I also am a huge fan of this person, that person. You might not have thought that because I'm a striker. And it's fun to just get to know people. I think if, uh, if fans got to know more fighters that they didn't like, they would actually end up liking them. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a really cool experience, and I'm happy to be a part of it. <laughs> well, two things you got to do. You got to get used to getting calls from Marco from Waco. Got to understand him completely. And Joe from Bayonne. You have to understand both of their voices, which is not always easy, and you Uh-oh. will be great. But welcome to the family, Angela. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to your first show. Yay, thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm looking forward to it forward to it too but first i gotta beat some ass this is Lindsay rhodes and i'm so excited for my podcast the nfl roadshow to be joining the sirius xm sports family we'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the nfl taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens i like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are gonna make you feel like a smarter football fan so please Join me every Wednesday for the NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Darth Bader, he's taking on Valentin Moldovsky in the heavyweight division, January 29th, Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona, defending your Bellator title. How you doing, my man? I'm doing really well. How about you? Doing well, doing well. What, what, tell me about the excitement level of going back to heavyweight. Um going up and down, I mean, 205 to heavyweight and back in, it, it's got to be murder on your body, man. How much different does it feel uh, in a heavyweight fight as opposed to 205 to you? Yeah, man, I, I felt great at heavyweight, you know, and, uh, you know, going through that heavyweight Grand Prix in Bellator, you know, um, I felt great going into those fights. You know, I looked great in there. You know, I've, I'm undefeated up at heavyweight, and I don't even think I've been touched or hit at heavyweight, you know, and so... Um, you know, I wanted to, you know, I had that belt, you know, a 205 belt and wanted obviously to defend it. And so did that. And then I, you know, I lost that belt and I thought, you know, I'm going to be a heavyweight. I'm not going to come back down. And then, uh, Belter asked me to come back down, join that tournament. Um, and I was kind of wishy-washy about it, but you know, I thought, you know, what the hell let's go, go try, uh, you know, to win that belt back, you know? And, um, but you know, I'm done cutting weight. I feel great at heavyweight. You know, I don't feel really that well at light heavyweight, you know, getting older, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm glad to be back, you know, at heavyweight, feeling good, feeling fast, strong, all the above. So what's the, the try to describe it if you can, the difficulty of not just going down to a five, but going down to a five, then going up to heavyweight, then going down yeah. to a five. You don't, you don't want to be an undersized heavyweight, but you don't want to be too heavy for two or five. That, that, that's got to kill your system after a while, man. Well, that, yeah. And the uncertainty, right. And so last year, you know, with the COVID deal, um, I thought I was fighting heavyweight up until four weeks prior. And oh. then, um, cause they didn't know if, 
um, Nemkov could get in, you know, from Russia and his visa, whatnot. And then they switched it on me, you know, four weeks. And so, you know, that's not, hold on. Sorry. No, I so that's you. not, uh, can you, you got me? Yeah. I can still hear you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. So, you know, that whole deal from going from heavyweight, then four weeks to go back down to two five, you know, that's, that's not fun, you know? And then, yeah, if I know I'm at, at 205 for a year or three fights, you know, it, it's a lot easier. But to jump around like that, because I need to be a strong, you know, um, in shape, 232, 35 for heavyweight. And then going back down to 205, you know, that's too much to cut, you know, especially it's not like I'm, you know, I get out of shape or anything like that. And so to be able to focus on one, you know, one weight class is huge for me. So, looking at your opponent, Valentin Moldovsky, an impressive record, 11-1. and one, yeah. Hasn't lost since 2016. You've had some some wins against, I would argue, bigger names. Of course, Fedor Milenko, the greatest heavyweight of all time to a lot of people. You've had bigger names, but where does he stack up in terms of skill level and ability with the other guys you fought at heavyweight? Yeah, you know, he's kind of one of those hybrid heavyweights because he moves really well. He's fast. He's not overly big. He's, he's 230. Um, I still feel like I have the speed advantage, you know, and different advantages like in the wrestling department and whatnot, um, cardio wise. Um, but he's one of those hybrid heavyweights that, you know, that, um, you know, he's not very slow, which I kind of saw as a heavyweight. I, I could see their punches coming. You know, I, I could react a lot quicker. Um, my cardio is always better, you know, so he's kind of, you know, in that in that zone. And he's almost a 205 or if you wanted to be, you know, so um the only thing I, I – we have common opponents, you know, Linton Vassell. Vassell went out there and, and took him down quite a bit, was winning that fight until the third round. Vassell kind of got tired, and Moldovsky ended up uh, getting on top, getting him arm triangle. You know, so that's what I really kind of base it on, and I can look at, you know, who I kind of know. He fought big country and all that kind of stuff, but um, kind of unknown. You know, um, one of those guys you don't really know what you're going to get until you get out there and get in a – um, you know, exchange with them, get on the fence with them, you know, get on the ground. And so I'm excited about this fight, excited about to go back to heavyweight. Um, I just feel like I, I perform better there. Uh, when you look at it, I'm speaking, of course, to Ryan Darth Bader, going to be defending his Bellator heavyweight title against Valentin Moldovsky. Russian fighters, Dagestani fighters. Seems like Eastern Europe yeah. is like the well now for MMA. Bellator's using it a lot. So is the UFC. What is it about those guys from that area? Of course, wrestling's you know, you know religion out there practically. What is it about these yeah. guys that makes them so tough and the mystique they have? Talk about that, man. Yeah, you know, I, I think they're just immersed in it since they were kids. You know, Russia has Sambo, you know, and uh, uh, Dagestan has wrestling and whatnot. And, um, you know, I think that's a lot of just what they do. You know, how, you know, I kind of grew up the same. I was wrestling since I was eight years old. You know, and those guys are going out there, they're competing in Sambo. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Sambo is a lot, is very similar to MMA, you know, so they've been doing that for a long time, you know, and uh, they, it's in the culture, I think, you know, and so, you know, they're going all in and, and you're seeing a lot of, you know, kind of the same style, you know, you got Khabib out there and, and a lot of other guys coming in from Dagestan now where um, they have similar styles and and um, kind of same with Russia, too. You know, and you have, you have Fedor come out and you have the Fedor team, which has Nemkov, Moldovsky, you know, and they're, uh, they see each other's success. They're looking up to Fedor. They're making their own waves, you know. And so um, it just brings up that, you know, that, that 
previous or that generation coming, you know, when they, Hey, there's MMA, there's mixed martial arts. I can actually do something. I can make a career out of this, you know? And so, you know, kids are getting in there and, and filling up that pipeline. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of that direction you talked about with, with, with his abilities, not a big heavyweight, about 230, but versatile. Does a lot of things heavyweights don't do. We're seeing that with yeah. Cyril Gaon in the UFC. We saw it, of course, with Cain Velasquez, earlier generation in, in MMA. The lighter, faster, more versatile guys. Guys are doing things in heavyweight that they just aren't, they, that they didn't used to do. What are your thoughts on that direction of the heavyweight division and how it's evolving? Yeah, you know, you're right. And for me, it was one of those things like, you know, I'm not an overly big heavyweight and, and I, I always kind of thought maybe I could do well at heavyweight, but I don't know. These guys might be big, you know, especially a guy that's cutting down from like 280, you know, and it took me actually getting in there and fighting at heavyweight to realize, okay, I can do this. You know, I feel good. I feel faster. I can see everything. My cardio is on point, you know? And so a lot of these guys that are on the edge being two of fivers and could go up to heavyweight, you know, I think it's just getting your, you know, your toe in the water and testing it out. And I feel like they can do very well, you know? And so um, I, I think you're going to see a lot more guys, you know, that are around that even 225 to 240 that can move well, you know, that have great technique, you know? And, and I think that's just in general in the sport of MMA, you know, those, those kids, younger guys are coming up, you know, versed in everything where back in the day you saw heavyweights that are, big punchers and that's what they relied on or just wrestling room. But now we're seeing these guys that are just good everywhere. And I think you'll see a lot more of these smaller heavyweights kind of come into the game and start dominating the game. Uh, tell me, I'm speaking to Ryan Darth Bader, of course, fighting in January against Valentin Moldovsky, defending his Bellator heavyweight title. That's January 29th, Footprint Center, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I want to ask about something for the special forces charitable trust it it paired two groups it had dan henderson it had you uh t tell me what was going on with this man what was it like what, what, what's it all about tell my listeners man yeah i just got back uh, late last night we went over to fort bragg in north carolina and uh there was 12 celebrities you know like you said dan henderson there's eric decker there's tulsi gabber you know and yep. and a bunch of others and and basically we're paired up with two green berets we got to practice one day um, and we tried to bring our own sponsors and we raised money and asked our fans, you know, to donate whatever they could. And we ended up raising over, I think, $210,000 for the Green Berets and their families. And basically we went out, we had four different um, stages, you know, on the long rifle, pistol, ARs, and, and we're all timed and everything like that. And so you competed with your two Green Berets for time and, and it was a lot of fun. We ended up getting second overall as a team out of 12 and, and raised money, had a good time, got to, you know, mix and mingle with all the Green Berets. You know, they're at the top of what they do. And at the end of the day, we raised a lot of money for them. And so that was a, a very, very fun, well-ran event. And, um, you know, great people out there. And at the end of the day, raised money, had a good time. And so, you know, best of both worlds. I love how, uh, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing is to raise money. Dude, you still want to win. You are Ryan oh, Bader. You were you were giving <laughs> everything you had. You and Dan have fun out there competing. I gotta know about oh, that. Oh yeah, for, for sure. You know, uh, Dan and I were kind of going back and forth at each other, but uh, uh, we did really well. We messed up on one stage a little bit. These guys were uh, they were taking their you know penalty. They weren't shooting all the things, so they would just go because it was a five second penalty if you left 
stuff up and we didn't know that. So we had, we stayed a little longer to try to get them all and a uh, little gamesmanship because they were there last year. You know, then I, then I realized the guy that got first, you know, he's actually, you know, going on tour and professional shooting this whole last year. And so I might have to step my game <laughs> they up. They had a ringer and, in there ready yeah, to go, exactly. right? So next I'm going to, I'm going to maybe uh, jump into a little of that and come back next year and put him down. But overall it was a fun, fun event. And, you know, the Green Berets are kind of the same. You know, I'm a competitor, and yep. uh, we got second, which is very good. But we're all like, damn, you know, we're coming for first next year. We're already game planning. So, you, you know, that competitive invest came out for sure. I bet it did. So talk a little bit more generally, man, since your transition from the UFC to Bellator. Of course, a double champ over there, 205 and heavyweight. I went to the event that was in Florida a couple weeks ago um at hollywood casino got to catch up with everybody a ton of fun what's the experience been like in bellator since making that transition how you've been treated how you feel the fights have been presented to you what are your thoughts on it in general man yeah when i came over you know i came from ufc i was 25 ufc vet and uh, my whole thing was you know is it going to be the same is it going to be just as big you know and we might not get the amount of eyeballs like the ufc gets and all that but i came over and uh you know, a fight fell through and I got to fight for the light heavyweight championship. My first fight in Madison Square Garden. And the thing I was worried about, is it going to feel as big? Am I going to get as, you know, get up for it and all that kind of stuff? And, and it was amazing. You know, I went up out there, won the belt, defended the belt. And then it's all, I'm all about opportunities. I got offered to come up to that heavyweight Grand Prix and I took advantage of that. And that's all I wanted. That's what I wanted in the UFC is opportunities, you know, and so. Um, took advantage of that, won the heavyweight belt, you know, uh, you know, had two belts at one time and just, you know, the people, everything, the atmosphere, it, it's, you know, we're, we're friends, you know, the higher ups with, with, uh, Scott, the mat matchmakers and all that. It's just a little different. Cause it's kind of like a little family. We all hang out. We're all friends, um, you know, and, uh, you know, get our business done at the end of the day, but, um, I'm having a great time and I love these different things that are brought to me you know hey do you want to do this heavyweight tournament hey you want to come do this 205 tournament they're open to fighting in japan different kind of stuff and so you know that's what i love about this especially this stage of the career i'm looking to do those different fun things so tell the fans uh what they're going to see valentin Mordovsky, you're fighting him of course january 29th arizona kind of a homecoming for yeah. you uh, uh having a fight in front of the crowd where you're from, man. You wrestled at Arizona State. What does that add or take away from the fight to you? A lot of fighters don't like fighting at home. You know, people want tickets, stuff like that. They feel a lot of pressure. What's that like to you? Yeah, here's the thing. In my Earlier in my career, I did not want to fight at home. Wow. And, uh, and so I got to fight at home my last fight. And obviously, that didn't go as planned at all. It had a terrible showing, you know, and I was like, not here, you know. And so... Um, Arizona completely killed it as far as ticket sales and support and Bellator, you know, uh, kind of hit us up. It's like, Hey, we want it. We need to come back. We want to come back. It's January too, too early and said, hell no, let's go. And, uh, like I was saying earlier, I feel great at heavyweight and I feel that, you know, this fight, great fight for me, um, and for the fans, you know, Moldovsky brings it. We're both, you know, around that two thirty, two thirty five mark and, and, uh, um, it's not going to be your stereotypical heavyweight fight, you know? And so I like, I want to go out there again and prove it to my fans and, and go get out there and get a win. And, you know, it's for a belt. It's an interim champ versus, you know, the current heavyweight champion. And so 
get that belt wrapped around my waist again, defending that heavyweight championship, unifying the belts in front of my hometown for, uh, fans. There's no better way. And so I get a redo at fighting in Arizona. And so uh, I'm going to bring it for sure. Ryan, always a pleasure talking to you. I know it's going to be a fun fight in January. Best of luck with your training. I'll see you then, bud. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.